Well, good morning. My name is Titus Bagby. I'm an intern here at, at Southwood, and I've been with this program now for two years. I know a lot of you here in the crowd, especially the ones up front. Um, I've been, I just got married last summer to Crystal Bagby. She's right up here up front, lovely one there. Guys, look away. Um, but um, yeah, I've, the funny thing about that clip is I've really wanted to use the Matrix in a sermon illustration for a long time now, and this morning is my chance. <laughs> so I'm really excited about that. Um, well, let me, let me get going with where we're going. You probably have a lot of questions, and the answers will come later. But for me, growing up as a kid, I really loved going to the movies. I really loved getting to kind of escape into the world of the imagination. Uh, and even now, kind of as an adult, it's hard for me when I go and see a movie that's really good to kind of reimmerse myself back into reality afterwards. Um, Crystal can attest to the fact that I'll be, I'll be thinking about this movie probably for an hour or two after we get done watching it. And just, we, we like to dialogue a lot about it. That's something I've actually really come to enjoy lately is just even looking at movies um, and seeing what it says about our culture, what we value, what we see as true. And even just to see like, what are the, the biblical truths that are present there? And I think that's one reason I really love The Matrix because I think it's chock full of different biblical truths. And some of them we'll talk about this morning. But real quick, just as for show of hands, guys in this room, who's excited about the Avengers coming out? This oh, oh, there it is. That's a lot. Yeah, uh, I'm excited too. Um, so we love we love our superheroes, don't we? We love seeing the good guy come kick some butt and take some names. I think that shows us that we really love our heroes. We're really, you know, wanting someone to come and conquer evil and, and save us from our troubles. Now, for you girls in here, how many of y'all just love chick flicks? Oh, oh not as many. Not as many. <laughs> well, that, that doesn't work as well with my sermon illustration there. <laughs> but I was going to say, how many chick flicks are there where, like, this perfect guy comes along into this girl's world where she's having all this trouble and drama, and he just understands her emotionally, and he gets her. And, you know, he comes and he, he solves all her problems. I don't know what this movie's about, but I just thought it'd be a good <laughs> illustration. But then, you know, he solves all her problems, and then after a week of knowing her, he proposes, and they get married. It's very unrealistic, but I think, too, it illustrates just the fact that we all desire to be known, needed, and loved. But then also, kind of when you think about movies, um, I think some of the ones that really kind of shock us are kind of the dark, gritty movies, if you will. The ones that seem to speak most accurately to our reality, that there's something broken inside of us, something deep and twisted. And I know a lot of you guys probably have seen Christopher Nolan films and just how like it's all about kind of like imperfect heroes or the main character can't fix some kind of flaw that he has about himself. Um, and it's those movies that really kind of like, you know, make us cringe because we're like, man, that just makes me feel uncomfortable because I feel like there's something wrong with me too. Um, but uh, so as you might have deduced from from the clip I had earlier, you know, Neo's got a lot of questions. He doesn't understand things about his world. You know, it's the things that are um, wrong about his world that cause him to question the things that are. I mean, just in the last scene, he had this, like, shrimp-like robot claw into his navel. I mean, that's pretty terrifying. Um, but, you know, he, <laughs> he uh, you know, he's coming to Morpheus with questions. Um, he, he sees that there's something wrong. And there's a truth that underlines Neo's world um, that he just doesn't quite know yet. And I think that's true for us. There's, there's a wisdom and a truth that underlies our world. So how do we know truth? How do we know wisdom? You know, how do we know when we have it that we've rightly perceived it? 
And then what does truth and wisdom do for us when we have it? I think Paul here in the book of 1 Corinthians is going to really begin answering some of those questions for us. You know, where is, where is true wisdom found? You know, why is it not always perceived rightly? And, and what does wisdom lead us to do? Paul is going to be answering these questions for us this morning. So I'll go ahead and read a section of our passage for us. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolishness of the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, for God was well pleased with the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, the Jew asks for a sign, and the Greek seeks for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block, to the Greek foolishness. But to those who are, being, who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, um, just thank you for this chance um, to be up here, Lord, and to be in front of your word, Lord, and to be reclaiming the truth uh, that comes from, from your word, Lord God. I'm, I'm so humbled by this opportunity. And Lord, I just ask that you would move me aside this morning. I, I just ask that I would not get in the way of what you are saying here in the book of 1 Corinthians, but Lord, that you would just speak to us all through your spirit, Lord, that you would just give us understanding to where true godly wisdom comes from. And Lord, I just pray that by the end of this morning, Lord, we would know uh, how that wisdom changes us and what that moves us to do. God, we, uh, we love you so much, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. So, just to give you all a little context about this passage and where I'm at, the book of 1 Corinthians is kind of crazy because Paul is speaking to a church that is all kinds of messed up, and they have a real problem figuring out, you know, how things should be run, how they should live, you know, even where their wisdom comes from. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, Paul's starting this, this book is, is with that source of wisdom. They, uh, we're really confused about even who was the, the true messenger who brought the gospel to them. They were arguing whether it was Paul or Paulos, and even some were saying, I'm of Jesus, I'm, I'm so much more spiritual than you. But Paul is coming to them to show them that it's not the messenger that matters, but it's the message that is preached. And so I think it's, it's really um, kind of powerful that you know, Paul starts with the words that, that the, the Corinthians are believing or holding as true. And I think words are powerful. I mean, I think for many of y'all in here, y'all can probably remember something encouraging that a friend has said to you this semester that just made you feel really good. And you could probably remember some hurtful words too. Maybe you haven't even gotten over that yet, but words have a power to deeply affect us. And I think it's also that we see with the great men of history that it's by their words we usually remember them. Um, you think of characters like Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln. You know, these two men held together nations in their darkest hours, because of their words, because of their speeches. And I think it's by no accident that the God of this universe used words. He used scripture to communicate himself to us. We see um, even in Hebrews that he says, the word of God is like a sword. It's living and active. It's able to cut us to the heart, and it's able to judge our thoughts and intentions. So the word is powerful. The word is a capability of changing us. And this is where Paul starts his message. He goes on to say, for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the word of the cross has been, is being perceived in two different ways here. You know, we see, first, to those who are perishing, it's perceived as foolishness. For those who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't know his sacrifice that he's given 
on the cross. It is not a message that has bearing on their lives. It's something they would see as irrelevant. But God, but Paul and and God, <laughs> Paul speaks. Our God speaks through Paul. He's showing us in this in this passage that for those who who see this message as foolishness, their end is perishing. Not only will they die like every human being in history, but they'll also be separated from God. They will be dying a spiritual death because of their disbelief uh, in this message. Just a quick cross-reference for you guys. Romans 1, 18-23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known of God is evident to them. For God made it evident to them. For since in the creation of his world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of a form of corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. You know, Romans is showing us the reality here is that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You know, we've seen God clearly in his creation. All, all of creation sings his praise. But then there's something deep, deeply rooted in us. Um, there's a consciousness of God in us. And even so, that, that revelation God's given us both through nature and through our own consciousness, we've rejected that. We've said, I don't want any part of that. I want to I worship myself. I want to worship this four-footed creature or this idol that's in my life. And said, I, I want to have no part with God. That was not the way it was created. That was not the way it was meant to be. We are created in the image of God. We are given great purpose of knowing God and making him known through his worship and through his praise. And, and God created this world perfect. But unfortunately, we sinned. Our, our father, Adam, sinned. And because of sin, that image of God is broken in us. We can no longer commune with God in the way he's designed it to be. We can no longer stand in his presence because he is a holy and just and righteous God. And all the sin is offense against him. You know, he cannot be in the presence of sin and he is therefore just to punish sin because he is holy, because he is righteous. And we come to see that also sin is a condition we are born into. It's not something that we just do here and there, just on the side. It's something that is also a part of our nature now that we choose to sin by our actions and by our choices. And apart from God speaking into our lives, there is no hope for us. There really is not. If God did not act on our behalf in some way to to bring us back to himself, there's no way we can earn God's favor. There's no way that we can know God as he's meant to be known. But Paul doesn't end there. Paul doesn't end with this really depressing note. He says, you know, the word of the cross is power. For those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God did act on our behalf. That is the great news of scripture is that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, both God and man to stand in our place, to take God's wrath and his penalty against sin on himself so that we can be brought back to God. And he didn't stay dead. He, He rose from the grave victorious over sin and death on the third day. And he has now made a way to the father. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And it's because of him we can come. So how do we accept that sacrifice? We accept it by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, It's for by grace you've been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the free gift of God. And then Romans even go on to say that faith comes by the hearing of the word of the cross. So for those of you all who are in this room, I'm sure most of you all know Christ. 
But for some of y'all, maybe, maybe y'all like Neo. Maybe there's a splinter in your mind uh, and it's driving you mad. You realize there's something wrong about your world. And you realize that there's a hurt and there's a pain inside your soul. And you don't know how to fix it. You don't know uh, what's wrong with your world. And so I just want to proclaim that to you this morning, that Christ has come. He has died in your place. And we preach Christ crucified. And he is the power of God. And the, very, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So if that's you in this room um, this morning, uh, just know that that is available to you. And I'd love to talk to you afterwards. I know that any of the interns would love to talk to you afterwards. But God is powerful, and he did act on our behalf. And he's come to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul continues from there. He goes on to say, I will destroy, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolishness of the wisdom of the world? Paul is, is showing us here, um, he's transitioning, you know, he's saying, here's the word of the cross, it's, it's powerful. Powerful either enough to condemn and it's powerful enough to, con- to save us. But he goes on to say that, you know, even God's wisdom it's, it's not of man. It's not of this world. It doesn't come from human thought. It doesn't come from, from the mind of a man. Uh, it is God's. God controls all wisdom. It's all his. And God is, is set into motion boundaries of this world, the, the way things work, the very processes of your human body. God has put all those things into place. Again, I'm cross-reference heavy this morning, but there's another one for you guys. Acts 17, 24 through 29. For the God who made this world and all the things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, or is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life, breath, and all things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries in habitation that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live, move, and exist, as some of your poets have said, for also we are his children. Being then children of God, we ought not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or through the thought of man. Yeah, Paul is, is again just showing us that you know, God has is, God is, is created this world. It's all his. You know, we've made a lot of progress in understanding our world through science, through our, our scholastic efforts. But again, it's, it's all God's world. It's all been crafted and, and molded in his hands. And the way we live, the way we move, the way we breathe, that's all a part of his design. And that's all a part of his plan. So Paul is, again, showing the Corinthians, you know, who, who put such a high value on what was said, you know, telling and hearing something new. He's like, it is not, God's wisdom is not something that you hear from someone. It is, it is, you know, it shapes the world around us. It shapes everything we know. And all wisdom is God's. You know, man, if, if we're considered wise, um, it's only because we might have a greater understanding of God and his knowledge. So if God's knowledge is all powerful, if he, if he controls everything in this world and everything we know, you know, why don't we perceive it that way? Why does it seem more relevant, relevant to our culture to, to perceive our wisdom through both reason, experience, logic. We see that the truth of our world is, is very much, in many ways, in contradiction to God's word and, and the wisdom we see of, of God's word. Um, so what, what's the problem here? Where, where is, who's going wrong? Or what's, why we would not perceive God's wisdom as it's seen here in scripture? There's a perception problem. And there's a couple of reasons why um, there, there is a problem with the way we see God's wisdom. 
Second Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. And the hard reality of, of part of the reason why we don't perceive God rightly is that there is a veil that lies over the hearts of the unbelieving, of those who do not know Christ Jesus. This veil keeps us from knowing God as he's truly meant to be seen. And I think this morning... This is why I chose this clip um, from The Matrix. Um, I just really love the dialogue here because Morpheus goes on to say that The Matrix is this world that's been pulled over uh, Neo's eyes to blind him from the truth, to see things for as they really are. And it's, it's blinding him from the truth that he is a slave, that he's been born into bondage. And also we see that The Matrix is a prison for his mind. And I think this echoes biblical truth so much, uh, especially here in this passage that our, our perception is off because there has been a, the, the world of sin has been pulled over our eyes. We are born to the bondage of sin. And it's because of the sin in our hearts, we don't perceive God rightly. We don't see him the way he's meant to be seen. So again, this just, again, emphasizes just how miraculous God's salvation is for us, that he would speak into the human heart, that he would rip that veil from our eyes, help us to see how truly wonderful, how truly glorious he is. So we see that the veil is, is one of the problems. But then two, I think everything about God's wisdom needs to be seen through, through the lens of faith. So I have a quick exercise for you guys real quick this morning. Tell me, is this a vase or is this faces? All right, how about this one? Young girl or old lady? And even, even this last one right here. Is this scenery or is that a face? Yeah, <laughs> kind of creepy, huh? <laughs> So we see, you know, there's a certain lens in which we're supposed to approach God's wisdom. I really love here this verse 21. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. We see that the world in its wisdom cannot understand God. It is not, God has designed it in such a way that, you know, the world can't. The world cannot perceive him through our means, um, through our reason, through our logic, through our experience. God has designed it in such a way that we perceive him the way he's revealed himself to us. And he's revealed himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He reveals himself to us through faith. Faith comes before reason. Faith comes before experience. That is the lens in which we come to understand God and understand his wisdom. And we see here, you know, God is well pleased that through the foolishness of the message preached, even if the message preached seems like foolishness, he is pleased to save those who believe. And then he moves on to say that, you know, for the Greek, our Jews seek a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to the the Jews and and foolishness to the Greeks. So we see that experience is not enough. You know, the Jews had the very oracles of God. They had all of God's word. They had the temple, the sacrifices, They had signs they were looking for. And the funny thing is that Jesus came and he performed signs and miracles. He gave them all that they were looking for. And still, the Jews, you know, they didn't believe him. They didn't have faith in him. They didn't see him as he had presented himself to them. They rejected their king and their savior. And they they took him to a cross and nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men. So we see that experience is not enough. If, If it was just the signs and the wonders... You know, they, they should have believed. They should have seen God for who he was. We see again that it was, it was their lack of belief that makes the, their experience uh, lacking. 
But then two, you know, reason is not enough. We see that with the Greeks, wisdom, logic, reason, these are all really important things. And so for people in the Corinthian church, they had a really hard time understanding the resurrection because that wasn't something that was scientifically possible to have someone raised from the dead. And so you see Paul um, in the book of 1 Corinthians takes, you know, a huge chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, to defend the resurrection, to show that without Christ raising from the dead, you know, our, our all of our faith, all of our dependence on God, it's, it's foolishness if, if Christ did not raise from the dead. But I like to think that, too, that our, our faith is a very logical. You know, we see, you know, from Scripture that, you know, the Bible echoes so many truths we see about our world and about just our existence. I think it's, it's funny how, like, every year I've been told by a friend, the book of physiology seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Because as we study the human body, as we see more and more of what is going on there, you know, we, it only gets more complex. It only gets to be you know, that much more complicated. But these, again, are the, the principles that have guided our, our, our existence, our body, our structure for all of time. Before scientists ever really discovered that, that is the truth underlining our existence. So we see that you know, there's only so much you can really explain about God, about his wisdom through, through reason and logic. But the other, other part of it, you, you really have to take through faith. And so reason is not enough. Real quick quote for you guys from a, a man named Anselm of Canterbury um, back in uh, around the first 1100 AD. He was, a, he was a monk, and he had this to say about faith and reason. Lord, I am not trying to make my way to your height, for my understanding is no way equal to that. But I do desire to understand a little of your truth, which my heart already believes and loves. I do not seek to understand so that I might believe, but I believe so that I might understand. And what is more, I believe that unless I do believe, I shall not understand. You know, for Anselm, it was faith first. It was always faith before understanding. But that faith led him to want more understanding, more reason, more just understanding of God. He wanted to know God in, in fullest capacity he could as a man. But you see, you see that faith is the first, first thing that came for him. So, moving on from there, you know, where does godly wisdom lead us? We see that we, once the veil has been removed from our hearts, once we've come to understand God through the lens of faith, see that all wisdom is his, that true wisdom is revealed in the work and person of Jesus Christ, where does wisdom lead us? We'll continue to see that, you know, as the world doesn't rightly perceive God's wisdom, so what also we chase after and what we, we desire in the Christian life is much different than what the world desires. I think Paul lays out for us just a, a real reversal of our expectations here in uh, verse 26 uh, through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that not many of you wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong, the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen that the things, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. So I think we see here that it's not based on our ability. It's not, Christian life's not based on our strength, our, our nobility, our might. It's based on God. It's based on his choice. You know, God has made the choice of us, and that is in his wisdom. That is in his, his design. That is in his purpose. And he's done that so that he might receive the glory. He's done that so that he might be exalted, he might be praised. We can't say that it's anything of ourselves, that we're righteous or that we're good or that we're worthy, 
but we look to God who, who chose the weak of the world, who chose the despised, the rejected, again, the things that are not to shame, those things that are. It is God's choice, not, not our ability. But then we see also that having godly wisdom leads us to true boasting, leads us to truly worship and praise that which is right. Uh, so continuing from verse 29, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Ultimately, godly wisdom leads us to see Jesus Christ as our all in all. We see that there was nothing good in us. There was a veil that laid over our hearts to keep us from God. But God ripped away that veil and God led us to Christ. He showed us that he's forgiven his sins, that he did act on our behalf. He took away that which was ugly and despised in us and he's, he's given us new life in Jesus Christ. And so true godly wisdom leads us to boast in Jesus. You know, again, he shows that Christ is the wisdom of God. You know, he is the righteousness of God. When Christ died in our place, he didn't just take away our sin, but he gave us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees uh, Titus. He sees Jesus Christ standing in my place. But you see also that he's sanctification and redemption, you know, is because of Christ and his work in us that we continue in holiness, that we continue in righteousness. We run after the correct pursuits. We worship in a way that is correct. And ultimately, we, we know that one day because of Christ Jesus, we're going to be restored to the Father and we're going to stand glorified with him and reflect his glory in a way that we were always meant to reflect it. So true boasting leads us to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I, I rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content in weakness, with insult, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, Paul, Paul understood it was, it's Christ. There's nothing else in him that's good. It's Christ working through him. And so that in his weakness, you know, the power of God can be displayed. So again, where does this lead us in practice? How does, how does godly wisdom change us? Um, and I just want to finish off this morning with just three points for you guys. First off, y'all are about to round the corner into finals. This is a really stressful time in your life. Most of y'all probably won't sleep in the next week very much because you're studying. Um, you're probably going to hate life a little bit. Uh, you're probably going to despise the workload that your professors have put on you. But I want you to remember this point, that even when finals are hard, you know, all wisdom is God's. You know, God you know, created the, the medical book that you're studying right now. He created the laws and the dynamics that, that govern your engineering. And even, even kinesiology and some of these other majors, sorry, I'm not trying to wreck on you guys. <laughs> you know, he, he, has, he has created the, the human body in such a way, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing. And so just remember, when you're studying for these finals, all wisdom is God's. And you can glorify God in the way you study with all that we can do, with all the Lord has given us to do, with all our work, we can give God glory through that. And we can even study in such a way that your classmates might be like, you know, what, what's up with this guy? What's, what's going on? And so you can give God glory even through your studies. Second, you're going to, you know, once finals are done, it's a great time to disconnect from studies. It's a great time to disconnect from school. But I just want to challenge you this morning, as you go into the summer, don't disconnect from God's word. You know, God's word is the source of, of godly wisdom. 
God's revealed himself perfectly through the Bible to us. And again, Christ is made exalted in our lives when we read the word. And so as you go into the summer, I want to challenge you to be like the Bereans in Acts 17, who were, who were noble-minded and eager to examine the scriptures and to test it daily to see that it was true. Take time to rest. Take time to kick back, relax this summer. Enjoy, enjoy the break you have, but invest your time in the word and, and see how that, that truth changes you and test to see that it's true. You know, God's word is powerful. It doesn't, it doesn't return void. For, it, it accomplishes the purpose it's sent out to do. Which brings me to my last point. Sometimes we're going to be perceived as foolish, foolish in the world's eyes. And I think this is where this, this passage really hit home for me. You know, I, I think going through college, um, as I continued to get more and more involved in grace here, I still had a real fear of uh, sharing my faith with others. I still had this really, um, you know, this, this fear of being rejected. And I felt like I needed to know all the answers before I could possibly share my faith with anyone. But I think what Paul is showing us here is that we don't need to worry about that. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be despised. We're going to be seen as foolish um, when we live our Christian life in front of others, when we preach the gospel in front of others. But what Paul goes on to say is, you know, Christ crucified is, is the very power of God to save those who believe. He's going to say the gospel is the power of salvation for anyone who believes. And so regardless of how we're perceived, regardless of how the world would, would make of our message, you know, we're to preach the gospel. We're to proclaim the gospel to others. Now, this is the greatest message we could possibly give any one of our friends. And as we also see in Romans, you know, how will they ever have a chance to believe if no one ever tells them? You know, if faith comes by the hearing of the word of the cross, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings of good things? So I just want to challenge you all with that this morning. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a perfect evangelist or apologist. You can proclaim the gospel to your friends now. You can proclaim that your classmates through both the way you live and the conversations you have. So I feel like this passage is really just, again, empowers you for that. And again, this passage leads us to true worship of Christ. It leads us to exalt him above all things and know that our true boasting is found in him. So would you guys pray with me real quick? Father, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us, Lord, that you've given us Christ Jesus. And Lord, you've, you've given us through the Spirit through, through belief in Jesus. Lord, you've empowered us to live godly lives through him. And God, I just pray that we would take this word, that we'd take your message, Lord. We'd apply it to our lives. We'd, we'd see that it is true. We'd see that it, it changes us. And the more we, we come to trust you in faith and walk with you by faith and see that you are true. God, I pray that this message, as it leads us into worship, Lord, I pray that from the overflow of our heart, our mouth would speak as we proclaim your name, as we delight ourselves in you in our heart. God, we, went, we couldn't help but, but preach this message to others and give others a chance to come to hear and believe and know life that is in Jesus Christ. So Lord, I just pray that as we finish up the semester, Lord, we remember all that all wisdom is yours. And God, we'd seek to give you glory in all that we say and all that we do and even in the way that we study. And God, I just thank you for all that you've been doing in our lives and in, 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 in this semester, God. Pray that we would um, leave this place uh, glorifying your name. Lord, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.